Welcome to the C3 Church Coffs Harbour podcast. We're glad you're here. We pray that you'll be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. Okay to audit those friendships. It's okay to audit those relationships. It's okay to cut certain things off if it is affecting your marriage, if it's affecting your uh, your friendships, it's affecting your family, your relationship with God, your, your involvement in church. There's certain things that we really need to be careful of. So let's look at how Jesus hangs out with people, how he does relationships. Because after all, this is a, a sermon about what, what Jesus wants for my friendships. So it's kind of good that we would look at his example. Amen? Luke five twenty nine to 32 says this, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, left everything and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with him. But the Pharisees... And their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with such scum? Jesus answered them, Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. See, Jesus positioned himself with people who needed the answer, who needed him, who needed hope. He had a mission with every relationship and environment that he was a part of. I strongly believe that when we enter an environment, a friendship, a relationship, we should ask ourselves, am I influencing this friendship, this environment, or is this environment and this friendship influencing me? And if it is influencing you, is it leading you closer to God or is it pulling you further away from God? Because I know that this can be used as a justification because... I was a youth leader for a very long time and I would have teenagers come to me all the time and say, I feel called to the clubs. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, why? I just feel like, you know, there's just people need me in the club and like just, you know, I've got heaps of these friends. Are they they boys or girls? Oh, they're all girls and um, they need Jesus and... um, you know, I just, I just need to be in the club. And I'm like, okay. And then you see the Instagram and they're like drinking. And it's just sometimes it can be used as a justification. And I'm not like, I've, I haven't named these people, obviously, but I'm not saying their heart's not in the right place. But some of those people, if not all of those people that are in my head when I think about that are not in church anymore, not following God anymore. Because I strongly believe that they've used it as a justification to be in an environment that they wanted to be in, not that they wanted to influence with the Spirit of God. And so are your friendships 
influencing you or are you influencing them? Jazz and I are very intentional with who we spend time with who don't believe what we believe. The key word there is intentional because we know that there are certain people who don't believe what we believe that will have a negative effect on our relationship with God. And we know that our relationship with God is number one. And we don't want anything to come between that. And so to be able to sacrifice that relationship and say, that's not going to be good for us, that's not going to be good for our marriage, that's totally okay. God will find someone else who can influence that relationship. That's not on you. What's most important for you is to make sure that you are doing what God has called you to do and to influence people in your world. Don't let them influence you. Just a few more. It says, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So what should our friendships look like? We should meet together. We should encourage one another when we are meeting together. Not tearing people down, not paying them out, not ripping on them for a mistake that they made during the week, but encouraging one another. 1 Peter 4, 8 to 10 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So when we meet together, we should be showing hospitality. We should be serving one another. This is the framework that Jesus puts in place for the people that we are hanging around, our relationships, our friendships. John 15, 12 to 14 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. In our friendships, there should be sacrifice. We should be willing to go the extra mile for our friends. We should be willing to sacrifice something. If our friends are in need, we should be willing to sacrifice our finances, our time, our energy. Because this is the framework that God puts in place. So how does it look for you? How does it look like in your life, in your relationships? Luke 6.31 says, As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. It's really important that we think about how we would like to be treated. It's such a cliche verse, but often we don't treat people well and then we think about if, if, the, if it was in the reverse... If they spoke to me like that, how would I feel? If they talked to me that way, if they said that to me about... It's always good to think, how would I like to be treated in this relationship? I'll finish on this one. Colossians 3.12. Put on then as God's chosen one, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another... And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect unity. There is so many good qualities here. And I think if we just went away with that verse for our friendships today, that we would have better relationships. That we could start next week stronger. Because the goal here is that we would bind together in perfect unity. 
as I said before, like everything that we do, the reason we're put on this earth is not just to enjoy, and I say this, not just, I believe that God has created life for us to enjoy, absolutely, 100%. But it's not just for our joy, it's also that others would experience that joy. So that's where influence comes in. And when God has a mission for our life together, it's much easier to accomplish a mission when it's not done by ourselves. And this is why it's not good for man to be alone. Why? Because there's a mission. There's not good for man to be alone because there's a purpose. And it's easier to do it with a group of people who are bound together in unity than it is to do it solo. So when you think of your, your friends, when you think of your relationships, how can you apply these verses to have better, um, have better time together? How can you encourage one another? How can you serve one another? How can, you do, how can you be more patient with each other? How can you extend more grace to each other? But also, how can you influence more people? How can you get yourself in environments where, just like Jesus did, where you actually seek out the people who need help? Don't let them come to you. Find those environments where people need what you have. And then if you find that those things are affecting you, audit those things and make sure your relationship with God and your friendship with God is always number one. Amen? All right, let's move on. We've got lots to get through. What does Jesus want for my career? This is a super important one because your career will take up most of your life. Unless Centrelink helps, I don't know, but... But for the majority of us, our career takes up the majority of our life. There is so much time that we spend in our job. And so getting this right is, I believe, is really important. But there is nowhere in Scripture that will tell you that you should become an accountant or an engineer or an artist but I think that there are so many times that we sit and wait for God to tell us, what do you want me to do? God, what is it? What do you want me to do? And I believe that that comes from a pure heart. That, and it, There's a lot of benefits to that because it, it means that you're humble and you, it means that you're willing to God give, for God to give you the answer. But... I kind of need to maybe blow some religious minds here this morning and say, you have the freedom to choose your career. You have the freedom to choose your career. Your career will take up so much of your life and God wants you to have freedom. He wants you to enjoy what you're doing. And you have the freedom to choose. Listen to these verses. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever you find to do with your hands... Do it with all your might. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 3.23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. I don't know if you're hearing a theme here, but Notice it doesn't say what to do. It says how to do it. 
It says, whatever you find to do, whatever you do, whatever you do. God is more concerned with how you do what you do rather than what you do. I'll say that again. God is more concerned with how you do what you do rather than what you do. And I know that there's things like that God will not want us to do, and this will come back to the influence thing. Like, are you, in envir- are you working in an environment that's not good for your relationship, not good for your marriage, not good for your, your relationship with God? There's certain things that that's where self-awareness comes in. But God is more concerned with the how than the what. So how do you choose? Romans 12.6 says, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Okay? He's given us all gifts to do certain things well. And this is so important to me. This is like, and this is where I operate, I think, really well in my life now. Your design is the most important factor to consider in making career decisions. The way God created you is really important. What are you good at? What are your passions? What are your interests? What do you like? What are your skills and your talents? These are all indications of God's design and God's purpose for your life. I just want to let this sink in for a little bit. Because I know, I know, I'm not guessing, I know, that there are people who don't do what they feel they're passionate about, that they're skilled at, what they're interested in, because they feel it's selfish. And somehow God has an alternative to the very passions that he's given you. God's not trying to trick you. He's not trying to dangle two things in front of you and test you and see what you want. God's designed you a specific way. He's created you very unique. There's people here that love working with animals. There are people here that love creating art. There are people here that love coffee. There are people here that want to be a doctor. There are people here that want to fly planes. It is not selfish to go for what you love doing. It is not selfish to pursue your dreams. The Bible says whatever you do, whatever you choose to do, whatever your hands find to do, but here's the parameters. Do it with all your might. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Give thanks to God. Do it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not human masters. In Proverbs 18, 16, it says, A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. In Proverbs twenty two twenty nine, 29, it says, Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. When we operate in our gifts, it opens up doors to influence. And when we have influence, we can affect cultures. I think one of the greatest gifts that we can give back to God is using what he has given us for influence. Not to sit and 5, 10, 15 years go by and we're in a job that we hate because we don't want to be selfish. We want God to tell us exactly what he wants us to do. I really don't believe that. 
Owen McManus is really good with this concept. He said, if you can't choose something to do, just choose something good. If you don't know what you want to do, just do something good. Because we've got people wasting their life waiting for God to tell them, you want, I want you to be a missionary in Africa. How many people are missionaries in Africa in this room? I, I can't see very well, but it looks like no hands just went up. So that means that the, the entirety of this room have other responsibilities. So doesn't God want you to operate in your gifts so that you can enjoy the life he's given you? And when you enjoy your work and you enjoy your career and you're passionate about what you do, then you go to work with a smile on your face and people ask, why are you so happy? And then it opens up doors to influence because you're good at what you do, because you love what you do. And when you get doors opened up to influence, you can affect cultures and cultures are the driving force of societies. And isn't that what God wants to change? So you see where it starts? It starts with loving what you do. It starts with pursuing your passions. Erwin McManus always also says, if you are passionate about God, you can trust your passions. That's a good statement. If you are passionate about God, you can trust your passions. Your passions, if you are passionate about God, your passions won't be selfish. It's okay to pursue the things that you love because I believe the things that you love are created specifically for you. That's God's purpose. I don't design something and then hope it does something else. Like you design something with intention, right? God designs you with intention. When I give my wife a gift, I would hope that she uses that gift. You know the worst thing is when you give someone a gift for Christmas and then a year later you go back to the house and it's still wrapped <laughs> or it's on the shelf and it's dusty. This is what God does. He gives us a gift. He gives us talents. He gives us skills. And we think, he, we, thinks, we think he wants something else from us. He's like, no, 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 I want you to use what I gave you. Don't leave it unwrapped. Don't leave it wrapped. Don't leave it on the shelf getting dusty. Use it. Have fun with it. Build influence with it. Anyway, that's what I believe. That's what the Bible teaches. So you don't have to get excited about it. It's fine. I hope the silence is people like thinking about, yeah, is it? Good. I've been living the last 20 years in a job I hate because I thought that's what God wanted. No, God doesn't want you to be in a job that you hate. Gosh, just blows my mind that we like think God's playing games with us. He's given us gifts. Ephesians 4.28 says, use your hands for good hard work. And then give generously to others in need. Good hard work. Good work. Not dishonest work. Not work that would cheat people. Not work that's unethical. Not work that's immoral. Good hard work. But notice he doesn't say what to do. He doesn't say be an engineer and then give generously in need. People would be like, I would love that. I'd be like, I'm so holy. He doesn't say what. He just says, make it good and, and work hard. But when you figure that part out, do this. Then give generously to others in need. And this is why, like, Mengs comes up here and, and just 
preaches my message in two minutes, so I don't even know why I need to be up here. But this is exactly what he's talking about. Our life, you know, I want to read this so I don't get it wrong. There is a greater mission for our career than to just receive a paycheck at a job you hate to pay the bills. The purpose of your career. When we operate under the kingdom of God, our life is no longer just about us. Everything we do, whatever we do, is to bring honor to God and bless and influence others. That's what we're called to do. And this is going to flow really well into the last one, which is what does Jesus want for my finances? But I just want to make sure you're on the same page with me. Everything that you do, whatever you do, the purpose is that it would bring honor to God and it would influence and bless other people. Amen? So you guys have got some thinking to do. What's, what career are you in? Do you, do you love your job? Do you hate your job? I'm, this is the part that I don't answer. This is the part that you color in, as Pastor Justin put. I create the outline, you color in the rest. Because only you know how you've been living what your thoughts, that struggle between is it selfish if I do this? Should I be pursuing my passion? Um, I'm working in an office job, but I've always wanted to be outdoors, but I just feel like if I do that, that's my passion, so it's kind of selfish. Can we, can we stop thinking that? If, you, if your heart, whatever it is, if your heart is to do good, it's a good thing. All right, let's move on. Is anyone writing notes? I'll be very proud of you. I know Robin is. I, I, can't, I literally cannot see. Am I squinting really hard? Cause I'm like, <laughs> it's really dark. Is it? It's like it's just like these beams, just like. I feel like is it? I've got that kind of confident, like blue steel, like squint, squint eye going on. <laughs> oh, what's going on? All right, how are we going? All right, let's finish on. What does Jesus want for my finances? Oh, this, this is a big one. This, do you know, this is so much more than what we do on a Sunday. This is what Jesus wants for your finances. This is so much more than what you put in the bucket when it goes around because one of the greatest things we miss out on is, is we think that... And I think this goes back to the career thing as well. Like, we feel like God's just testing us and we just got to make him happy. Like, we just live our life just to, like... Yes, we're here to please him, but it's just like we do it out of fear rather than out of freedom. And it's like we, so we, we tithe on a Sunday and we check the box, but then we're like, okay, that generosity thing's done for the week. I'm good. The rest is mine. Like Paul Scanlon, I don't know if you like Paul Scanlon, but he says we've got churches full of Christians who tithe on a Sunday, but they forget their wallet all week. In other words, we're generous here, but we're not generous out there. We're happy to get our wallet out here and, and give money to church, but we don't pay for a meal and we don't help a friend and we don't help a neighbor. But that's not what God's called us to do. He hasn't called us to just be generous in church. He's called us to be the church and to be a generous church. And just like Mangs was saying, he's called us to impact communities. I just want to start this part of the message by 
just saying a few things because when I talk about finances, there is a danger that you want me to go to the verse where it's like flood, like open the floodgates all over me. It's just like everyone here, just everyone gets money. Everyone gets money. You get money. It's just like, give me that verse. I want the floodgates to open. But it's really important that I preach the Bible in context. Is that okay? Is that okay if I preach the Bible in context? Okay, cool. I don't care if you put your hand up or not. That's fine. Luke 6.20 says, God blesses you who are poor, for the kingdom of God is yours. Luke 6.24 says, what sorrow awaits you who are rich, for you have your only happiness now. Psalms 37.16 says, it is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. 1 Samuel 2.7 says, the Lord makes some poor and some rich. The Lord makes some poor and some rich. 1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith. I start with those verses because I don't want our theology to think that God wants everyone to be super wealthy. Despite there being books by famous pastors out there that will say, God wants you to be rich, my Bible says that he makes some poor and he makes some rich. It says sometimes it's better to be godly and have little. So as a blanket statement, God wants you all to be wealthy is actually not true. It's not biblical. And I will not apologize for preaching the Bible in context but it's not a bad thing. Do you know why it's a bad thing? Do you know why we get uncomfortable with that? Because we compare ourselves with other people. We compare that God has given them lots and he hasn't given me as much, so he must favor them more. But he says that God blesses the poor. So the money doesn't necessarily mean favor. And I'll get into that in a sec. Matthew 25, 14 says this. This is the parable of the three servants. It actually, in, in most translations, it will say parable of the talents. And we can think talents being like gifts, but talents were a form of income or, a, uh, or money. So this, um, I think I'm in the NLT. Um, this is my NLT right here. Um, it, talks, it, it translates into silver so that we can understand that it is money that they're talking about. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. Now, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated, right? So this is not just a cool story. This is Jesus saying that this is how the kingdom of heaven operates, all right? It blows my mind that people are like, I love that story about that. And I'm like, do you understand, like, Jesus is literally telling you how the kingdom of heaven operates. Like, it is the most insight you will ever get into the kingdom, I love parables because once you understand that, you're like, oh, that's God and that's me and that's how it operates. It's awesome. You should try it. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags 
went to work and and earned two more. The servant who had received one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground, hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip. Yeah. I just want to, I don't know if I read it before, but it said dividing it in proportion to their abilities. Okay, so just, I think I read that. Um, The servant whom he entrusted five bags of silver said, Master, you gave me five bags to invest. I've earned five more. And the master was full of praise. Now, this is the kingdom of heaven. This is how we know, this is how God operates. The master is God. The servant is you and I. It's like, it's that simple. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, Uh, harvesting crops you didn't plant, gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops and didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given... Even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. This is what I need you to understand. It is not about how much you have. It's not a comparison game. Okay? It's about what you do with what you have. Can you steward the finances you've been given well? Do you know why it's not a, com- it's not a comparison game? Do you know why I know that, that money is not a favour thing, it's not a reward thing. Because there are poor people in this world that can't help what they have, but God still loves them and he still favours them. But I think a lot of the messages that come out on, uh, on finance come from a Western culture where our only context is either you make lots of money and that means you're a good person, and so that's how God views us, or the opposite. I went to Haiti last year, and I know that God is for that nation. It's one of the poorest nations in the world. God loves the people there. But do you know what? They work harder than most people I see in Australia. They use what they have to the best of their ability. They are diligent in their work. They put their hands to work. They take what little they have and they make good of it. And I can guarantee that God favors those people. 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. So if God trusts you with much, can you be generous? Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. Honor. Honor. How do you do that? What are you doing with your money? 
What are you doing with your finances? Where does that go? What are you investing into? Is it dishonest money? Are you cheating people? You can take your finances and honour the Lord with it. Running over time, but I want to finish on this really powerful scripture about Solomon in 2 Chronicles 1.7. It says, That night God appeared to Solomon and said, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. God appears to Solomon and says, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Do you know if that was us? That's like, like I, I picture the genie in the bottle type thing. Like, you got three wishes, you can have whatever you want. You're like, oh my gosh. God just says he will grant whatever I want. God, I want a million dollars. I want a mansion. I want a seven bedroom house. Which probably for the loons is practical, to be honest. But <laughs> I just want this. Oh, I saw this new boat. It was so amazing. God, you saying I can have anything just... And I think that if God was to ask us that question, he said, I'll literally give you whatever you want. I think the requests would be pretty selfish. But listen to what Solomon says. He replied to God, You have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, Because your greatest desire is to help your people, and you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies, or for a long life, but rather you ask for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people, I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested. But I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame, such as no other king has ever had before you and will ever have in the future. When you have a heart to use what God has already given you wisely, you lay a foundation for God to trust you with more. I want you to walk away with this one today. Money is not a reward from God, it's a resource from God. Because a reward is something you keep, a resource is something you use. If money was the reward from God, as I said before, it would mean that poor people have no reward from God, that they are not favoured. But when it's a resource and God requires us to use the best with what we've got, then we're all on the same playing field, whether you're poor, middle class or rich. We all have the same standard upheld by God. Whatever you have, use it to the best of your ability. Use it to bless others. Use it to influence people. God wants us to use God wants to use us as people of influence in this world. It's easier to achieve this when we see our finances as a resource to accomplish this mission, not a reward for our good behavior. Three things I want to finish. Be content, check your heart, and use it as a resource to influence others and bring honor to God. Whatever you have, stop comparing to someone else. What does God want for your finances? He wants you to use whatever you have to grow, to bless, 
and to honor. It doesn't matter what you have. Just do something with it. It doesn't matter what career you have. Choose something you love. It's all to honor God and bless others. It all comes down to influence. Amen? And I feel like that's put a weight off people's shoulders. But not to say that your contentment doesn't mean you need to be satisfied because content is not, you, you don't stay in a, that position, right? So if you, if you feel like you're poor, content is having peace in that, but it's knowing that God wants you to do something with that because he told the servant who had, who had little, who buried it, did nothing with it, that he was wicked and lazy. So if you have little, God just wants you to do something. And that brings honor to him. You might only be able to afford one coffee, a $3.50 coffee for someone a week. But it's better than holding on to it because you feel like it's not good enough. Because you feel like the neighbor next to you has 10 talents and you have one. I really hope this is speaking to some people this morning. I really hope it's changing some mindsets about your career and about your finances, about your friendships. Because does God want you to be super wealthy? The answer is yes, if you have the character to back it up. If you have proven that you are willing to do the best with what you've already got. The answer is no, if you can't do that. Let's pray. God, right now, I just thank you that this word would speak to our hearts. God, I thank you that you would challenge us in ways that we haven't been challenged before. I thank you that we would begin to see our finances as a resource that could impact the world and not as a reward that we would keep for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with, with having nice things, but at the expense of other people. I don't want that. God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me in my friendships. I want you to use me in my career. I want you to use me in my finances to influence the people around me, to influence this community and this city. I want you to influence. I pray that would be our prayer this morning, God. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to finish with one prayer and just ask a few people this, because if we're going to do this series, What Jesus Wants, I can tell you that the, the ultimate thing that what Jesus wants is a relationship with us. Out of all the things that we will talk about over the next few weeks, what he wants is a relationship with us. And I just wonder if there's anyone here that doesn't have that relationship with God, that's never asked Jesus to be in control of their life, to be Lord of their life and to become a Christian and just let go of their sinful nature and give it to God and say, God, I need to be free. This is what Jesus wants. Yeah, we can talk about all these other things that are practical in our life, but ultimately he wants you and him to be in a relationship. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, I just wonder if you would slip up your hand just really briefly, if that's you, and you want to be in a relationship with God, you've had enough of living the way you've been living, you've had enough of the sin that keeps grabbing a hold of you, and you know that you need a saviour, just like Jesus hanging out with those people who needed healing. You're that person. You need Jesus in your life. You need the presence of God there 
because you're sick. And God's got the answers. So I'll give it five more seconds. Is that you? I'd love to lift a hand and I'll pray with you. Awesome, God. I just thank you for this morning. Every single person here, Lord. Lord, bless us abundantly as we walk into our week, but don't bless us just with material things, God. I pray that you would give us resource. You would give us wisdom. You would give us understanding to influence our world this week. Lord, I thank you that you would strengthen and unify our relationships, that you would bring joy in our careers, and God, you would bring abundance in our finances so that we would have greater impact in everything that we do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the C3CH podcast. We trust this week's message inspired and encouraged you. We hope to see you in one of our services soon. For more information on C3 Church Coffs Harbour, visit www.c3ch.com.